is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 56. You can find that on page 1026 in the Blue Bibles. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my soul rejoices in the Lord my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generations to generations. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud, in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but, the, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever and even as he has said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord.
Let's pray. Father God, help us to hear your word, even just this little portion of the Christmas story. Help us, some of us, to hear it fresh again and to obey what you instruct. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you here last week. We had a bit of a nativity scene with children up the front. You can see we have left the stage set because you can imagine on that first Christmas day there was a green door on the inn. There was a palm tree that had monsterio leaves on it and lights around the bottom. There were great big stars with stars inside them and of course a manger setting. You can imagine it 2,000 years ago covered with lights and straw from Bunnings with a child in a box next to some Ikea stools. It's all fake, isn't it? The whole thing's fake. It didn't look anything like this. And this is Christmas. This is how we do Christmas. It's all a joke. Did you see the animals came down? The kids were dressed in animals. We had a duck about this big, a big yellow duck, a drake, <laughs> standing here next to the manger the whole time. You reckon there was a duck in Bethlehem next to the manger? It's just like Christmas. How are you going with Christmas? You know, we're just about there. We're about, I reckon we're about halfway through. Five more days to go. Come Sunday morning, I reckon you'll be able to say, done for another year. And you're free. The big problem is the second half is the worst half. This week is the worst. The parking's terrible. You've got presents to wrap and buy and cook. You've got to clean the house. You've got lots and lots of eating, all this wonderful food, but by the end of it, you're sick of it. You've got family or lack thereof. You've got emptiness and you've got ache. Now let's face it, Christmas is just another day, isn't it? Have you ever noticed how you wake up on Christmas Day and it's just another day? Your body feels as tired or whatever, if you're like me. And then you go outside and if it's a sunny day, the sun's shining and the grass is growing and the birds are singing and the dog's pooing on the back lawn like it always does. Nothing different. Just another day. And then you go and you get together with a family maybe and your uncle is no funnier than he was last year. (laughs) And the cousins are still weird. The thing with Christmas is our imaginations are so much more creative than reality. We have this expectation and we're fed by Aldi and Woolworths and everybody else to buy into this reality of this magical, magical day. And our imaginations overrun what happens. And think about it for the kids. It's worse for the kids. We generate this whole system 
because kids have fertile imaginations, probably better than yours and mine, and we feed their imaginations and their imaginations run wild and they expect this super, super magical day with the bestest presents like you could ever imagine and the family time's going to be so wonderful. We're just going to have the most wonderful, wonderful family time and I'm going to have so much fun with my cousins and my friends and it's going to be fantastic. And then Christmas Day comes along. And the presents aren't quite what I expected. My mum and dad may say they tried hard, but they're getting cranky because you're unhappy about your presents. And then you go on a long drive to see your cousins and your uncle's not funny and mum snaps at him and then mum and dad start fighting and then you're stuck there doing nothing, eating yucky food with stupid cousins until mum and dad crankily stick you back in the car and then they drive you all the way back home and you sit at home and they're not talking and you're watching TV and the stupid Christmas shows. And we set our kids up for this magic, magic day. And then they carry the baggage of their Christmases with them for the rest of their life. Oh, Christmas in my house, it wasn't going to be. The takeaway, what do you learn at Christmas time? Here's what you learn at Christmas time. My family is crazy. Well, you know what? Maybe they're not crazy. Maybe they're just normal. I found an article online, the Women's Weekly article, which is, as you know, the source of all home truths for good Australian women. It says this. Here's some advice for Christmas Day. If you feel things are getting a little too tense around the Christmas ham, we suggest changing the subject. Cracking a joke. Telling people you're feeling uncomfortable. Or simply excusing yourself and taking some time out. Also, limit alcohol if your family is prone to arguments. And if possible, make sure you have your own transport so you can leave if things get really tough and if all else fails, remember this too shall pass. The festivities will soon be over, your in-laws will fly home and the Christmas tree will be packed away. Cue big sigh of relief. End of article. That's Christmas. That's a woman's weekly Christmas. You can see you're all sitting around the table. Aunt Petunia says, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Thank you, Aunt Petunia. Uncle Fred gets up and says, I'm leaving for 15 minutes. I'm having a smoke and I'll be back in 15 minutes because you drive me crazy. Or whatever you do, don't forget the keys in the car because you can get the heck out of there at 2.30 if you really, really want to. What a wonderful Christmas. That's normative, it says for the Woman's Weekly. Well, you know what? All this distress is confirmed by research. Serious research, a recent German study by academic Michael Mutz, published as Christmas and Subjective Wellbeing, a research note. To quote, the Christmas period is related to a decrease in life satisfaction and emotional well-being. A big study all across Europe, all sorts of nations, the Christmas period is related to a decrease in life satisfaction and emotional well-being. 
In other words, people are lonely, they tend to overindulge, they don't get out enough and they have rows. To quote again, it is a yearly and inescapable source of stress for most people. In other words, Yuletide leaves nearly everyone more or less depressed. Tis the season to be jolly. No, 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 no. Tis the season to be blue. Change the Christmas colours, no longer red and green at Christmas time. The colours are blue and black. We're changing Merry Christmas to Miserable Christmas. Wouldn't that be easier? Instead of walking up to someone, oh, Merry Christmas, and, you know, have a great Christmas, yeah, Merry Christmas, Miserable Christmas, yeah, you too, Miserable Christmas. Miserable Christmas to you, yeah, all right, Miserable Christmas. You're with the family, Miserable Christmas, yeah, Miserable Christmas. And then we all find it easy. So much easier, so much more true. And it's proven by research. Christmas may be literally driving you crazy. There's only five more days to go. However, to quote Dr. Mutz again from his research, Christians with a higher degree of religiousness are the exception to this rule. This is what research has found across all of Europe. People who approach Christmas primarily in a spiritual way as a celebration of the birth of Christ are much happier. To quote again, Christian religious affiliation is a protective factor against the general decline in subjective well-being around Christmas. We're the exception to the rule. We enjoy Christmas while most people, according to research in Europe, don't. How about you? Do you enjoy Christmas? Because you should. And I should and I find it every year a struggle. Somewhere about the 1st or the 5th of December I think, No! That's wrong. We need to put away our cynicism and embrace the season. But why? Well, Dr. Mutz suggests a number of reasons why Christians are more likely to be happy at Christmas time. He says, attending religious services, intensifying prayer, watching nativity plays, donating to the poor and the needy, spending time and exchanging gifts with family and friends may be regarded as ways in which basic Christian values manifest themselves and are reinforced. In other words, at Christmas time, Christians get to live out their values. But don't we want to be doing that all year? Shouldn't we be doing that all the year as Christians? Furthermore, he says, it can be assumed that Christian individuals are less prone to being absorbed by the consumerism that precedes the holidays. Well, I hope that's true too. All year. The Daily Mail writing on this research says... Being surrounded by friends in a congregation who share common beliefs and motivations is reportedly a way in which faith and happiness connect. 
So they're saying that we're happy at Christmas time because Christmas gives us an opportunity to take our faith and our convictions and put them into practice and connect because we meet with other people who have similar beliefs and similar attitudes. But I'm saying, don't we do that all the time? Faith and congregation connect. I, I think they've made some good points, but I actually think they're not quite on the money in their assessment of why Christians are happier at Christmas time. Because I think there's a deeper reason that flows into all those other reasons. And if you struggle with the Christmas season, I want to encourage you this morning with what I think is the great reason why we should be happier. And if you love Christmas, I want to encourage you even more to keep loving Christmas because it's worth loving Christmas. And it's not because it's our holiday, like our we're the winners because we have Christmas Day. The reason we need to celebrate at Christmas time and be happy is because Christmas trumps, the Christmas message trumps all. The good news of Christmas trumps all. I don't know if you know about that word trumps. It comes from card playing, games like Euchre or 500 or Bridge, where you have different suits and some suits can be a trump suit. So, for instance, we're playing a game and I have the king of spades. Now, the king of spades, he's pretty strong. He's pretty good. So we're playing our cards and I put down the king of spades and I say, woohoo, I'm a winner. And you've got the measly two of hearts. But if hearts is trumps, according to our rules, you can take your pathetic little two of hearts and put it on my muscly king of spades, and because trumps are the car, because it's trumps, you win, and the king of spades gets smashed, because hearts is trumps. See, the good news of Jesus at Christmas time trumps all. It's better than everything. It's the winner. So Christians at Christmas time, because of the good news of Christmas, we win. It doesn't matter how commercial Christmas is. It doesn't matter how busy we are or how stressed the season might be. For us, Christmas is fantastic because the good news trumps all. We see it in the very first Christmas that we had read for us by Jeremy. The story of Mary. When we meet her, Chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, here she is. She's a, probably a young girl, maybe late teens. She's engaged. That's exciting, sort of. And an angel appears to her. This is interesting. The angel said to her, Greetings. You who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, which is fair enough because all of a sudden as a young girl an angel turns up to me and says, Hey, you're the lucky one. God's favour. What's going on? Well, these words of comfort come. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. The promise from the angel is basically that you will be the mother of the promised Messiah, the son of David, the son of God. You're the mother, Mary. Wow, that's some news. But Mary says, listen, how shall this be since I am a virgin? Well, that's a fairly reasonable question for Mary to ask. Okay, you tell me I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. How? Because, like, I'm not married, I'm not, you know, involved. I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. So there's Mary. Okay, I'll have a baby then. So you're telling me it's just going to happen. You're telling me that this is going to be a child from God. I don't know about you, but that sounds like bad news to me. Mary is being told that she'll be pregnant out of wedlock. That is not okay. Mary is engaged. Soon to be in wedlock. Uh, Her her, her fiancé, Joseph, what's he going to think? Well, it wasn't me because I know how the bees and the birds, birds and the bees work and it's not me. This is not okay. I don't know if you've ever been pregnant. I've never been pregnant. But it looks like really, really hard work. Very inconvenient. It's not okay. I don't know if you've ever had a baby. That looks like really, 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 really hard work. That's very inconvenient. It's not okay. Have you ever raised a child? You've got to breastfeed for all those months. You've got to get over the birth. You've got to get kept up at night and your whole life changes to the very core. It is not okay and I'm going to be shunned by my parents, shunned by society because I am not married and you come and tell me, hey, you're going to be a mother of the Son of God. This is not okay. But despite all these complexities, for Mary, it is okay. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. It's okay. Incredibly disruptive. We're not told the details. But Mary, you can imagine, Mary has to leave home. Mary leaves home and travels way, way out of Galilee and way from Nazareth, way down south to her relative Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. One can perhaps guess out of shame, out of protection. At that time, Mary hurried and got ready and went to a town in the country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, how are Elizabeth and Zachariah going to be? Okay, we've got a a pregnant teenager living with us for a few months, another mouth to feed, another bed to fill. This is a hassle. But when Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby in her womb 
and Elizabeth were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice she said, Blessed are you, Mary, amongst women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me, says Elizabeth? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. See, this is Elizabeth's excited and believing despite the hassles. And then Mary bursts into a song of praise. Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the Holy Mighty One has done great things. Holy is his name, says Mary. He has helped his servant Israel in remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary stayed at Elizabeth's home for three months and then returned home. All the hassles, the massive life change, the shame, the uncertainty and Mary says, God, you are so good. I am so blessed. This announcement of the birth of my child is overwhelmingly good news. It's a source of joy and praise and thanksgiving for me because God's promises to Abraham, they are about to be brought to fulfilment and I will be the mother of the Messiah. This is good news of great joy which will be for all the people as the angel said to the shepherds in the field. Now if you think your Christmas is stressful, it doesn't hold a candle to that of the first Christmas and Mary's Christmas at that first Christmas day. I haven't even said anything about what it was like to go back to Nazareth and then to get large with child back in your hometown with your fiancé. I haven't said anything about what it's like as you're large with child, to be told by the Romans that you have to go to Bethlehem. Hundreds of kilometres travel on the back of a donkey or whatever, on your feet. Haven't said anything about what it's like to give birth in a cattle shed and put your baby in the feed trough of the donkeys. And then to have filthy shepherds come and pay you a visit that night. There are hassles and stresses aplenty. But can you see that in this story, the good news trumps it all? This is wonderful news. As we read through Luke's gospel here, it's not the hassle, it's not the stress. We've actually almost got to read that into the story, but it's quite obvious that it's there. But the atmosphere here is laden with joy and hope and expectancy and patience. God is at work. God is being faithful to his promises and in Jesus the Messiah, born to a young virgin in a stable, there is hope. This is good news that trumps all the hassles of Christmas. Why is it that Christians are far likely to be discouraged or depressed 
or disheartened at Christmas, but rather to enjoy the season. It's not that they don't face the same hassles, they do. We do. The car parks are full, the food to be wrapped, food to be presents to be wrapped, food to be prepared, house to clean, as I mentioned, all these things. Trips to be made, the family to visit. You know, our families are just as messy as everybody else's. Your family's messy. Being a Christian doesn't save you from that. The bank account takes a hit for us. And let's face it, for us it's an ordinary day. But the good news of Jesus' birth, doesn't it trump it all? Doesn't it lead us to a life that is expectant and pregnant with hope and joy and purpose? Shouldn't our Christmases be just like Mary's first Christmas? Where the good news trumps everything? Shouldn't it be a Merry Christmas? Not because of the beer or the bonbons or the turkey or the pudding or the custard. Merry Christmas. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Saviour was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. So here are two challenges that I'd like to leave you with for the next few days. Just for the next five, six days. Firstly, don't let the world squeeze you into its mould this Christmas time. The pressures of Christmas will come. They're already upon you. You will feel the Christmas squeeze wanting you to leave you with an empty manger, empty pockets and frustrated relationships and lingering resentment. Don't do it. Don't let the world squeeze you into that space. Jesus is the reason for the season. Remember God's remarkable gift to you. Remember his love and Anything that threatens to get into the way of your joy in those things, get rid of it this Christmas. You see, you weren't made for Christmas. We think we are inadvertently. Christmas, we've got all these expectations and I was made to be part of these expectations. And I get frustrated because I don't fit. But you weren't made for Christmas. Christmas was made for you. Christmas is a gift to you. So just embrace the gift. Don't fit into the gift. Accept the gift. This silly nativity scene that I took to pieces at the start of my talk, I think it's beautiful. It doesn't look anything, didn't look anything like this on Bethlehem, I'm sure. But the beauty of this nativity scene, the beauty of seeing those kids last week, is we see the joy of Christmas. That God humbled himself to serve. That God took the form of human flesh and was born as a baby. 
not just born as a baby, but born to a young virgin in a, in a shed and stuck in a cattle feeder to sleep his first night out of the womb. And when you see the kids doing that and enacting that out in this silly drama, it says God humbled himself for you and for me. God came to us. It's beautiful. It's something to be thankful for. It's something to embrace and rejoice in. Second challenge. So first challenge, don't let the world squeeze you. Second challenge, after embracing the gift, share it. You have the most precious gift of all to give this Christmas. In a world that research has proven struggles with Christmas, you have a gift, which is Christmas. The joy of Christmas. We have light and joy and hope and peace. All these things that we sing about in our carols, they are our possession in Christ. So share the gift. Share Jesus. Do not buy into the cynicism. Do not give away to despair. Do not let resentment get a foothold in your heart. And when you're talking to Uncle Harry and he's cracking the same old jokes and he's not funny, listen and laugh and love. Don't make the world a difference to Uncle Harry. He just wants somebody to love him. He just wants someone to accept him as he is. Someone to rejoice with at Christmas time because that's what he really wants. That's what we all want. We all want the Audi Christmas. Because, you know, the Audi Christmas and the Woolworths Christmas and all those Christmases that we get in our ads that are never realised in your real life, they're all a picture of a hope of relationship and celebration and future and joy. They're all a picture of heaven. They're all a picture of what the people of God should be. So give it this Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas. When you're with your family and friends, have a Merry Christmas. Listen and learn and love and laugh. And let people know it's because you've got something to celebrate. Because Jesus was born in a stable to save you from your sins. And you're not bound by this world. You're not bound in slavery any longer. You're not bound in a world of despair. I had a friend say to me like yesterday, the reason that people often get depressed at Christmas is for the first time they get, they, they're forced to stop. They don't go to work and so all the stuff that they fill their lives with to keep it all a blur just stops and they're thinking, well, what's my life about? End of another year. My family sucks. I don't know what I want. When you're stopped, give them something to rejoice in. Offer them Jesus Offer them joy. Because we have the gift of Christmas and it's ours to share, not to keep to ourselves. So have yourself a very merry Christmas.
and do it all for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, help us to cast aside cynicism and to rejoice in the birth of our Saviour, your Son, the Lord Jesus. Help us to do that in the next five days or six days as we celebrate Christmas, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.